and I'm delighted to be joined now by a literary great, John Banville. Welcome, John. Very nice to be here. Come here, I see you're still tormenting yourself with the writing. I remember we talked when the Singularities came out and you were like, I won't be doing that again. But that was the last kind of Banville book, wasn't it? But you're still at it with the, the crime stuff. Well, if I stopped, I'd fall off the edge, you know. So um, the day is very long. Yeah. 16 hours and then another four hours of insomnia. So I have to do something. Yeah. You had to write a, a six-word story once uh, for, for some kind of project. And you wrote, should have lived more written less. Do yes. you regret at all the wasted life writing those books? Well, I regret it in terms of my family, my children. I didn't give them enough time. Uh, but I can't regret having produced the work. Yeah. I mean, I hate it all, but I can't regret it. You hate it all? Well, it could have been so much better, you know. Yeah. Do you have to, you just have to let it go at some stage and go, OK, that'll do now. I can't get it right, but... Yeah, well, Send the, it on. one of yeah. the great French poets said a work about is never finished, only abandoned. Yeah. And that's true, you just have to give it up. What was wrong with you, do you think, that you had to become a writer? <laughs> I think writing was a way of interpreting the world, explaining the world to myself, accounting for the world to myself. I find the world a very, very strange place. I've never got used to being here. Uh, I think we're aliens. I don't think this planet was made for us. Uh... And I felt that from earliest childhood. And one way of making some kind of sense of it, I suppose, was to represent it in words. And did you come to understand it at all? Did you come to understand it? No. I'm more baffled now than I was when I was a little boy. Yeah. People? Do you get that? Well, people are still really, really strange. My friend Martin Amos had a book. I I told him I always envied him the title, which was uh, Other People, colon, A Mystery Story. (laughs) Did you know him well, yeah? I did, yeah. Yeah, what kind of a character was he? Oh, he was a wonderful character. He was completely unlike his public image, which he very carefully maintained. Uh, he was very sweet. He, he was a lovely man. I, I, I loved him very much. Miss him dearly. Yeah. So, um, do you do you still get up and do a full day's shift, or do you, do you take a bit more free time these days? Or Well, I'm too old now to, to do the kind of work I used to do. I mean, I used to work... 10 hours a day, uh, or I'd work six hours a day and then go into the office and work in the newspapers. Uh, now I can't do more than four or five hours, uh, which leaves an awful lot of the day. Yeah. What, I was what talking to Neil Jordan about this yeah. recently. We were saying, hey, what, what, what do you do with the day? Have you a so, hobby now? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you were laughing. You know, most normal people do develop at some stage yeah, I, along the way a hobby of some kind. I, Represent myself as a normal person. Yeah. So no hobbies. No hobbies. So what do you do? I read. Yeah. <laughs> and I listen I'll take to music. a break from the old writing. I love a read. I listen to music and I read, and I see my friends. Uh, those of whom, <laughs> those of my friends who are surviving, I seem to spend my life nowadays going to funerals. Yeah. Is it so? Is old age and mortality creeping in for you then when when, the, when that's all happening around you and everything? Oh, yes, of course. But there is a certain comical aspect to being old. I don't just mean, you know, forgetting where you went upstairs and what you did yesterday and so on. But the actual decomposition of the self has a funny side to it. Uh, it's one watches oneself shrinking 
Uh, I put on a jacket yesterday that I hadn't worn for about three years, and I discovered I could, I could do all the buttons, you know. So I'm, I'm gradually uh, thinning out to the point where, you know, one day there'll be a, a pop or a snap, and I'll be gone. Is that what's happening? Are you fading away, yeah? Fading away. How much of you is left? I'd say about 55%. Yeah. Is it the good 55%? It's the good 55%. Okay. Was the 45% never... Yeah, look, I mean, I still enjoy life immensely. I mean, being here is absolutely extraordinary. Um, And the fact of still being here at my age uh, is both funny and wonderful. Yeah. And I suppose if you've never got used to it or figured it out, if it's a constant uh, source of mystery and adventure every day as well. Oh, yeah, nothing is ever ordinary. I mean, people talk about ordinary people, but as James always said, I never met an ordinary person in my life. And that's true, neither did I. So, look, you've somewhat, uh, somewhat reluctantly uh, chosen five pieces of music. You were in, then you were out, but you have come to it now and you've picked um, five uh, pieces of music that have meant something to you in your life. And I know they are all really connected with uh, the important people in your life. So music is important to you, is it? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, music is the purest of all the art, all the art forms. Because it is, it is, isn't it? It is pure form. Music is not required to mean anything. Uh, people are constantly talking about works of art and saying, what does it mean? Works of art don't mean anything except they mean themselves. Uh, music uh, is not required to mean. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful form. It's a mysterious form. I, I regard it as a kind of magic the notion that those little black marks, little squiggles, and those big white pages can be turned into storms of exquisite sound is mm. an extraordinary, magical process. F- but I should say that yeah. the pieces I've chosen are not... <laughs> I mean, I was going to, you know, do the, all the Bs, you know, the Beethoven, Brahms, Bach, uh, but I decided to pick pieces that are connected with my life and my loved ones and my children. And the first one uh, takes us back to you as a toddler. <clears throat> it's hard to imagine you as a toddler. What, can, what were you like <laughs> as a toddler? I was smaller, <laughs> slightly smaller. Um, yes, this is a piece by Foray. Uh, it's the verses from the Dolly Suite. Foray wrote this in the, the Dolly Suite in the 1890s for a little girl uh, whose nickname was Dolly. She was the daughter of uh, his mistress, Emma Bardak. Uh, and when I started listening to... Uh, for it seriously in the 70s there was always behind it a, a slight echo of something from the far past and one day I, I played the Dolly Suite and I realised of course the Verses was the theme music for the BBC children's programme Listen With Mother which was for toddlers uh, and I used to listen to that every day five days a week with my mother and that piece of music is uh, it brings me way back over many, many years. And it reminds me of my mother and being safe, being protected, being loved unconditionally. OK, let's have a listen to it. So the, the Bersus from the Dolly Suite by Gabriel Foray.
That's the burst loose from the Dolly Suite by Foray, and that is John Banville's first musical choice today. Um, so that that is the power of of music in one way that it it, it brings you back there, like almost primarily to a time you barely remember, but you remember it, it, the feeling of it through the music. What, were you a mother's boy? Did she dote on you? Well, she did. Yes, uh, she doted mostly on my older brother. Uh, but she had to put up with me because my little brother was eight years older than me and he left to go to university. Uh, so she just had me, so she had to make do with me. But she was a, she was a sweet woman. Uh, she did her best for us, you know, money was scarce. Life was narrow in economic and in spiritual terms in the 1950s. But she did her best. And, uh, was her life narrow? Yes, yes. I think she was disappointed. She was she was not narrow herself. She was wonderfully intelligent. Not very well educated, but marvelously clever woman. Uh, and she, like, like most mothers, like most lower middle class mothers in those days, she managed the household, she managed the household finances. And she did very well indeed. She she educated three three of us. But I said to her one day <laughs> When I was when I was grown up, when I was married, she was complaining about her her life, uh, and I said, "But you know, you've got you've got the, you reared these three children who were happy." And she said, ah, "Happy," uh, and I saw what she meant. You know, <laughs> happiness wasn't the point at all. What was her disappointment? Well, again, as I say, like most lower middle class mothers, uh, she gave up so much of her life for her children. Uh, and then we all upped and left, as children will do. So she was left in loneliness, I think. Um, I shouldn't paint too bleak a picture. I mean, she, she, she had a wonderful sense of humour. and uh, I mean, she had wonderful phrases. She, she, she never swore, but she had things like... If she was really angry, she'd say, the curse of the seven snotty orphans on them. Seven snotty orphans, where did they come from? <laughs> Or if somebody was very excited, she'd say they were hopping tall, like Hennigan's goat. I can see Hennigan's goat, you know. So she yeah. was very colourful and uh, very imaginative. And, uh, you know, I got a lot from her. But she did take care of me. And, you know, to be loved when you're a little boy is the most important thing. Yeah. She's still very uh, present and alive for you in a way, is she? She is. I feel a great deal of guilt about her now. I didn't do enough for her when I was young. Uh, but the young don't, you know, we, we, we have our own lives to live. But it's tough uh, looking back now when I think of all the things I Why, what did could you have do? done. Well, I left, and I left with hardly a backward glance. Um, and she was, I suppose, essentially forgotten and ignored. Did um, you come back around at any point to her? No. No. When she was dying, she, 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 she was dying for a long time. She had very bad heart disease. Uh, and there was a, a new tenderness in her. Uh, I was away on holiday when she had her first heart attack. And when I came back, I came into the hospital room and she was, she was sitting in the middle of this enormous white bed. She was like a little girl. She was so frightened and so, and so embarrassed. She was so embarrassed to be sick. Uh, this is not what mothers are supposed to do, you know. Uh, so she was very brave, uh, 
and bore her illness very well. And she died one Sunday morning. She was in the garden feeding the birds. And she just fell over and was gone. So it was the kind of death she would have wanted, although it was too early. She was only in her 60s. Oh, OK, OK. Um, your second choice is uh, something quite different. Cocktails for Two by Spike Jones and his city slickers. Why this? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit unexpected, I suppose, for people who know me. Uh, well, one of the pleasures of having young children, and one of the surprises for me, is their anarchic sense of humour. Uh, children love to laugh, and they love to laugh at the adult world. They love the spectacle of the adult world making a fool of itself. I mean, I can remember being at Christmas parties when I was a little boy, uh, watching the adults getting a bit squiffy on, you know, second glass of sherry mm. and suddenly sing songs and making complete fools of themselves. And this delighted me. And when my boys were small, Colm and Douglas, uh, they loved Spike Jones and his city slickers. I mean, Spike Jones and his city slickers are the epitome of, of anarchy. They, they used to take a show around America, which was called the Musical Depreciation Review. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cocktails for Two is a wonderful satire of the kind of uh, soupy, sugary sentimentality of what used to be called Tin Pan Alley. You know, the, yeah. and, and the, the, the fake sophistication, you know. Uh, Okay. Let's so it's take, a wonderful song. Let's take a bit of fake sophistication. Here's Cocktails for Two by Spike Jones and his City Slickers. Someone sharing a delight There's some bad cocktails for two As we enjoy a cigarette <laughs> To some exquisite chansonnette Two hands are sure to slyly meet Beneath a serviette With cocktails for two My head may go reading But my heart will be obedient With intoxicating kisses for the Okay, Cocktails for Two by Spike Jones and his City Slickers. That's John Banville's second choice. He's still going there in the background. An element of the one-man band. Um, that was for, so for your two boys. You got in trouble before for saying you weren't a good father and writers generally aren't. Yes, it was, it was funny. I, I did an interview with the Irish Times, I think, and I said that writers and artists, when we don't make good parents because we spend too much time on our own. And uh, I, was, I was away in Paris for the weekend and <laughs> I came back and uh, this is about 15, 20 years ago and somebody said to me, my God, that was some weekend. And I said, well, I was in Paris, it was lovely, but it wasn't all that <laughs> remarkable. She said, no, 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 the, the Twitter storm. I said, what? What's a Twitter storm? So she told me that everybody had been on this tweet, Twitter tweeting about me and saying awful things about me. That's just, I, I thought it's hilarious. I still think, uh, I don't understand why people 
worry about Twitter um, and opinions expressed about them on Twitter. I've never cared what people say about me, and I, I, I certainly didn't care about that. I think I was right, and I think I was right to say it, but it wasn't a very controversial thing to say. I've said many more controversial things in public than that. Mm. Um, have your children forgiven you? I hope they have. I mean, for being a bad father, not for well, saying that. Well, yeah, forgive me in general for being yeah. me. Um, I hope they have. I mean, they're growing up themselves now. They know what it's like to live in the world. They know what it's like to to leave childhood and to suddenly realise you're on your own uh, and that you can gather people around you and they will love you and you love them, but that human life is essentially isolation. Uh, is it, though? Oh, yes. I mean, we... We're trapped inside ourselves. We we can't even be sure that there are other people around. Yeah, I wonder if that's just a writer, though. Like, writers are sociopaths, aren't they, really? It's all, uh, oh, yes. Uh, sometimes, like, is it all just... It's all just material to write? Yeah, I don't think... It, we're not so much sociopaths. I mean, there is a streak of sociopathy in us, of course, but I think more than that, we're cannibals. We will eat anything. Yeah. We will devour those around us. Uh, when... I was married first back in the 70s. I was going somewhere with my, my wife and um, we were having a dreadful row, one of those rows that you have in the early days of marriage where you're trying to adjust to each other. My wife was in full vituperative flow and I said to her, I said, that's wonderful, can I use that? <laughs> and she said, I said, my God, you're even more of a monster than I <laughs> And I said, yes, but can I use it? She said, oh, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, she, was, she, she understood me. Yeah, and you're still using it now. And it's a, good, it. it's a good one, in fairness. Yeah. Uh, your next choice is, uh, is this called Perpetuum Mobile by the Penguin Cafe Orchestra? And this is uh, for your two daughters then, is it? Yeah, my two daughters, uh, Ellen and Alice, uh, when they were small, they loved this. Uh, it's very, I loved it too, I still do. It's very unusual music. I mean, it's very simple and in a way it's a kind of straight-faced version of Spike Jones and City Slickers, uh, more sophisticated. Uh, but it's a beautiful piece and they, they did the music for a television ballet called Still Life at Penguin Cafe. I guess this was the... I don't know, I've lost track of time. It does, it does in the matter, 80s, yeah. I guess. Uh, and that was an early environmental uh, warning. Uh, it was a beautiful little ballet, and uh, this piece of music, Perpetuum Mobile, was the, the, the theme, the main theme. Okay, let's have a listen to Penguin Cafe Orchestra.
Perpetuum Mobile by the Penguin Cafe Orchestra and that is uh, the writer John Banville's third music choice today. We could have sat here in companionable silence drifting off into ourselves listening well, to yes, all day, couldn't we? It's barely music, yeah. but it's, it's, it, it is an early... Do you get on better with the, the girls or the boys? You prefer women, don't you? I find it easier uh, with the girls, but I love my two sons of course dearly. Um, and I love their sense of humour as well and their sense of... Their sense of loving disrespect, which they have for me. Yeah. Um, they don't take me as seriously as I take myself, which is good for me. Uh, I'm sharing a house with my eldest son, who's now 50. God almighty, he's practically older than I am. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we, we rub along quite well together. The house is big enough that we can stay out of each other's way. My younger son is married. He has two splendid children who are, who are the delight of my late wife's life and they delight me still. Is it a, is it a defeat to move in with your son? Is that like... Oh, no, my son was My son was there already. Uh, uh, this is the family home. OK. Uh, he just stayed on. Um, and it's, you know, it's good to have company. It's good to know that there's somebody else in the house. Uh, That's... Especially when they're in another <laughs> That's room. That's the basis of a lot of marriages. It's good to know there's somebody else in the house. I like it. There's a, there's a, 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 a sitcom could be written by... Samuel Beckett or somebody about you and your son in that house in the, in the different rooms. Sitcom yeah. by Samuel Beckett. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, you're as a Booker Prize winner yourself. Were you pleased to see Paul Lynch win the Booker for Profit Song? Oh yes, I mean it's always nice to see a fellow countryman, fellow country person uh, winning a big prize. And and his main competition was another Irish writer, Paul Murray, for The Bee Sting, and then Elaine Feeney, Sebastian Barry were on the long list. Are we kind of in a new uh, golden age of Irish writing at the moment? Well, it seems to be. I mean, I don't keep up. It's just too much to, to read, but there do seem to be a lot of Irish writers emerging now, or emerged, I suppose. Uh, and that's, that's wonderful to see. We, we've this grand tradition that's been going for... Hundreds and hundreds of years seems to be set to continue for as long as we continue. Do you think writers are still central to the public discourse in Ireland, confronting us with uncomfortable truths about ourselves and all that? Well, I would like to think so. Um, I just reviewed a book by Claire Wills called... uh, Missing Persons or... Yeah, she's on with us next week. It's a stunning book, isn't it? Wonderful, wonderful book. Um, Now, it's not fiction, but it is a very, very significant book uh, and confronts us as a people with uh, past sins. So the written word is still very, very important and very significant. Okay, your next choice is Locke's Consort of Four Parts, suite number three in F major. Why this? Uh, Patricia Quinn, the mother of my two daughters, she plays the Viola de Gamba. Uh, she introduced me to this early Baroque music, viol music, which is exquisite. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. I can't pretend to understand it. It's a musical language that's slightly too early for me, but I listen to it all the time and uh, I'm very moved by it. 
And I suppose one of the reasons I'm moved by it is that I don't understand it. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a double mystery. There's the mystery of music itself, and then there's mm-hmm. the mystery of this type of music. And it's uh, it's exquisite music. And you get on well with Patricia Quinn still and everything. Oh, of course. Do, do, do you get on well with all your exes? Yes, yes, all my exes. Yeah. <laughs> all that huge they, horde do, of women <laughs> behind me. Yes. Do they put up with a lot? women in your life? I suspect they do. But I hope they get something in return. I find women absolutely fascinating. Uh, I find them... I, I, was, a, I was doing a, a thing at the um, University of Lyon years ago. I was giving a talk or something. And afterwards, there was a lunch for 13 men in an upstairs room, a parody of The, the Last Supper. And halfway through, I remember thinking, this is my idea of hell. <laughs> An all-male lunch that goes on for all eternity. If one woman had come into that company, everything would have changed. Yeah. Everything would have changed. The men would have changed, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, um, do you still chase women? Or still uh, part I'm, of your I'm life bit, over? I'm a, bit, I'm a bit past that. Yeah. Uh, a bit past that. Company keeping now, is it at this stage? Yes, company keeping is, 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 is in the past, I fear. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. And they never say never, John. Um, and on that note, your final choice, and um, this is uh, it's a sad one for you, I know. Gene Austin's Bye Bye Blackbird. Yeah, it's a wonderful little song. Um, my wife and I, she died two years ago. We used to, when we were young, we used to say to each other, Bye Bye Blackbird, if one of us was going on a trip. And... On the night before she died, those were her last words to me. And we played Bye Bye Blackbird as the last piece of music at a funeral to the buzzlement of <laughs> quite a number of the mourners. And my wife would have enjoyed that because she had a, uh, a very peculiar sense of humour. And look, I know what we, we, the relationship was complicated and everything, but, but uh, were you lost without her? Oh, yes, I, of course I miss her. Yes, it dreadfully. Um, it was complicated, but I mean, what would be the point of a relationship that wasn't complicated? You know, vegetating in a in a rose garden. Uh, not my idea of life. The comfort of knowing that there is someone else in the house in another room. <laughs> yes, there is that. There is that. <laughs> um, that is such. It's such a. A, a beautiful poetic thought, though, that the, those uh, last words to you. Um, John Banville, uh, we, we've only had a handful of conversations ever, always on the radio, but you know what? I always come away from them in, enriched and oh, uh, feeling a bit much. better about life. And I, 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 I value our few encounters very much. I really oh, do. I'm saying that in case I don't see you again. She's <laughs> 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 planning to fade away. OK, John Banville, thank you very much. And we will finish up on Gene Austin's Bye Bye Blackbird.